Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. You have found yourself in the 130th episode of the podcast which means that there's been 129 other occasions for me to sit down in front of my microphone. Thank you for joining me on this one and any of the others that have come before it. As I have done every 10 episodes, I would like to today interact with some emails and some other inquiries that have come through to me because of things I've said on the podcast and things I have written on the website. I've been writing about fly fishing on Casting Across for almost six years now, so there's a lot of occasions that would cause someone to question, comment, or accuse me about something. The accusations do come, but they are few and far between. That being said, I am letting you know now. MatthewCastingAcross.com. Send me an email if you have an accusation. I can't believe you said this, but not looking for controversy. I just don't want you to shy away from it if you feel like you need to make your voice heard. So three things as per usual that I want to interact with on the podcast on my fly fishing accusation episode. The first one comes from Nick. Nick wrote me two good emails. One was particularly long, which is great. I like a nice long email, but I'm going to edit it for airtime. So Nick writes, I'm a relatively new fly fisher. I live in Northern California, and during the spring summer, I fish the river for red-eye bass. A large red-eye will be one to one and a half pounds, but you'll commonly catch them much smaller. I will usually fish with an ultralight spinning rod on the river. I tried fishing with a five-weight fly rod, but it's just too big for those small fish. So I'm looking for a much smaller rod, essentially an ultralight fly rod that I can still cast far. I recently used uh, my father's three-weight, and the line was so light I simply could not cast where I needed to, especially with little wind. The areas where I fish often require a long cast as the river can be wide. So I like to use a larger fly or a small popper for red-eye bass. Do you have a recommendation for a rod-line combo that may get me maximum distance with a lighter rod? Should I be looking at a three- or a four-weight? 
Would a weight forward or double taper line be better? How about rod materials like fiberglass versus graphite for this specific situation? I don't want to make a bad investment, but I also don't want to give up on fly fishing this river if I can still do it with a more fun rod that can cast the line out there a ways. Well, thank you very much for the email, Nick. I appreciate you reaching out and trying to solve this problem. So this is something I talked about a few weeks ago, and it's basically the equation that goes as following. What is the lightest rod that I can use and still cast efficiently? So this is not a situation where we are worried about having enough power in that rod to turn the head of fish. This isn't some situation like fishing for carp or for pike or for saltwater fish where we want enough power in that butt section of that rod where we maybe go up from an 8 to a 9 weight or from a 6 to a 7 weight so that we can really keep a a fish out of the mangroves or a steelhead out of uh, the, the fallen trees along the bank or something like that. This is purely can I cast the flies that I want to use, and can I have a rod that's light enough that I'm going to be able to feel the fight of these fish? So first thing, right off the bat, I think I addressed this a few weeks ago, I'm a firm believer that a quality fly rod, even if it's going to be heavier, so a five or a six weight in your situation, a good fly rod is still going to have some bend in it. For a pound, pound and a half fish in current, you're going to feel that fish you're not going to get that ugly stick bent over completely kind of action uh, on a fish like that, and you're not going to get that on a, on a fly rod. It's just not going to happen unless you use something custom and something teeny tiny, but even then you're going to run into that issue. If that rod's probably not going to be able to cast those heavy, wind-resistant flies like you want to cast them, especially if you have to cast distance. So I'm not saying this to say this is a problem without a solution. I'm just saying that this is a Venn diagram of casting with Uh, bending and that area where they overlap is not that big but with a little bit of flexibility you're going to be able to find the perfect solution for you so i'm not going to offer a suggestion of a particular rod because that is just like anything else these days you're going to need to find the thing that's right for you so go out and cast some rods but here's some things to consider the first thing uh line you mentioned line and i'm glad you did because i i love line good line does some great things. You're going to want a weight forward line for turning over those heavy and wind resistant flies. You want to cast a line that is going to propel that fly uh, with a lot of speed and with efficiency. So a weight forward line is going to do that in a way a double taper line is not, especially poppers. I mean, those suckers are not only heavy, but they are wind resistant. And so having a weight forward fly line that can generate the line speed from any rod you choose to use is going to be very important. You might find a perfect rod, but if you have the wrong line, like a double taper line in this situation, you're going to be in trouble. So that's the first thing, is get a good quality weight forward line. It doesn't need to be uh, the premium stuff, especially if you're throwing poppers. You know, It just needs to be a good, bulky, weight-forward head. I would say a normal trout taper is going to be just fine uh, for fishing kind of the situations you're fishing if you're not uh, throwing really super big poppers, but we're fishing panfish poppers, basically. You should be fine with, with that. You could maybe step up to like a warm water line, but even then, that might be overkill for, for your situation. So just a good, weight-forward line. So two suggestions. The first one you addressed yourself, which is Uh, switch to fiberglass. A contemporary fiberglass fly rod is A, not going to be that expensive. We're talking two to $350. 
and you can get that in a five weight. So you had a bad experience with a five weight that may very well have to do with that five weights taper or just your expectations. Uh, again, uh, most fly rods are not going to bend over in the same way that a really ultralight spinning rod is going to. But if you go from graphite to fiberglass, you are going to get more bend in that rod. That's just the way they're made. It has to do with the material. It has to do with the taper. It's still going to be rated for a five weight line, but it is going to flex deeper into the midsection to the butt section of that rod and for the cast as well as when you're fighting a fish. So it will give you that sensation of a fish that is pulling harder. Of course, you are going to have to slow down your cast, especially on those longer casts with that heavier line and that bigger fly. You're going to have to slow down your cadence and make sure you're allowing that rod to push and pull that line to have those loops completely open up before you uh, extend your cast into the next stroke. So that's just something to consider. If that's not what you want, then you shouldn't get a fiberglass rod. If you don't like having a slow stroke, then that will not be the solution. The other solution, and this is a little bit of like a, a trick, I think, is to make sure you're fishing a long rod. Don't be fishing a seven and a half footer or even eight footer. Get that nine foot fly rod. So something like a nine foot four weight or a nine foot five weight. Uh, a lot of people think if I'm gonna go light, I need to go short. I need to fish a six footer. I need to fish a six and a half foot fly rod. That works in a lot of situations. Casting tiny dry flies to tiny trout on tiny streams, it's a great thing. But you are going to cast easier, better, and longer with a long fly rod, a nine foot fly rod. That being said, the other thing that you're going to benefit from is there's the kind of illusion of bend when you're fighting a fish is uh, exacerbated, is made greater when you're fishing with a nine foot rod. So if you're fishing a nine foot four weight, that thing is going to bend more than you're fishing a seven and a half foot four weight because both rods are designed to cast a four weight line. So the longer rod is going to be more delicate from that midsection up to the tip. As long as it's not an extremely fast four weight, you're going to get a lot of that bend that you're looking for. So those are my two main suggestions about, about rods. Try to find something in glass that you like casting in a five weight or maybe a stiffer four weight glass or get a medium action nine foot four weight or five weight. Go out and cast a couple and see if you can find one that pairs well from the recommendations of your local shops with a, a good weight forward line. But that's the best really that you can do is trial and error. And so once you've cast those rods, you're just going to have to take the plunge and make that investment. And I would say you can find a really good rod for around $200. And if it doesn't work for this exact situation, you're going to be able to fish with it in some other way, shape, or form. And you're probably going to be able to make do. That's the reality of it. There's nothing against warm water fish or these red-eye bass, but you're probably going to be able to make do. You're going to be able to make slight adjustments to your casting stroke and to the fly assortment that you use, and you're going to make it work just fine. But thank you again for reaching out. I think that's a great question, and it's something that uh, you, you should consider before you drop a couple hundred bucks. The next question comes from Stan, and Stan writes, Hey, thanks for the site. I was really inspired about your article about your simple nymphing rig. Aw, inspiring? Thanks, Stan. Anyway, Stan writes, um, how does it work? Because I'm thinking I'll need fly line for some of my Euro nymphing. Uh, also, do you use the normal tippet and what are the limitations? Thanks, Stan. All right, Stan, great question. Stan is referencing an article I wrote a few years ago called My Wonderful Simple Nymph Rig. And this is a article that is better read than 
uh, explained on a podcast, but let me briefly explain what this is. I have a spare spool for one of my reels, and on it, there's a lot of backing, and then there's like 20 or 30 feet of maxima 20 pound, really, really supple monofilament. It's a maxima leader material, uh, and it's just a little bit thicker, and it's but it's very, very supple. Not a lot of memory. It doesn't coil when it comes off the reel, and it causes a very tight connection between my rod tip and everything that's below it. So I go from that maxima to a furled leader from Appalachian Furled Leader Company, their nymph leader. So I chose the 20-pound maxima because it is the same diameter as the butt section of that furled tapered leader. That leader has a cider section, has two cider sections actually, it goes from gray to neon green to pink, and then it goes to another tippet ring, and from there I go straight monofilament. So I'll go to two flies, one fly, a fly, some weight, uh, a fly, another fly, and then some weight, a weight, a fly, just depending on the situation that I find myself in. But this is a nymph rig that I use on like a nine foot six weight, and I'll also use it on an 11 foot three weight. It is a great way to maintain contact with the fly. But more than that, I like to have the mono maxima, this, that, that kind of butt section monofilament that I'm using instead of fly line, go from my rod tip down to that furled leader, which I like to have coming up out of the water between a foot and two feet. So then I have a couple things I can key in on. I can watch that cider leader as it stays kind of under the surface. It's a little bit more buoyant than regular monofilament because it is braided. And then I have the tension still between the tip of my rod down to that and then my fly. So it's not the same amount of direct connection and tension you'd have if you're using a straight monofilament uh, leader. It's also going to be more than you'd have if you had fly line in there because it's a much more taut connection between the rod tip and the fly with that furled leader kind of in the middle that acts as not just a cider for what's happening underneath at your fly, but what that water is doing. I like how that more kind of thick, slightly more buoyant leader moves in the water and I can detect when I am maybe a foot closer or further away than I should be for, for getting that right drift based upon what's happening under the surface of the water. Because again, what's happening under the surface might be completely different than what you see on the surface. So having a furled leader that is flowing in that water acts as a bit of an indicator, not from strikes necessarily, although it definitely does that, but also for what is happening in the, that water column between the surface of the water and where my fly is. So that didn't answer many of Stan's questions, with the exception of, yes, I use straight monofilament at the end of it. I use just regular tippet material. I don't get fancy with that at all. His other question is, what are the limitations? Well, the limitations are you can't cast far. I think this works really well in that 15 to 25 foot range. Um, you can't use a dry fly with any sort of efficiency because it is going to be a sinking rig between the tippet rings and the the, the maxima, the mono coming out of the, the tip of the uh, fly rod. And even the, the leader is not a great leader for floating flies. The, there's some great leaders for floating dry flies, but this is not one of them. And so it really is going to pigeonhole you into that one situation. And then because there's no fly line on there, I, I suppose I could have a fly line that I run this off of, but I would rather carry a spool that is ready to go with a more traditional 
line to leader and then this spool that caters to when I really want to get a tight line nymphing situation. So it's not going to give you a lot of versatility. So this is something to use if you really are sold out into this style of nymphing. But at the same time, you want something a little bit more simple and something that you can adjust on the fly. So it's a great maybe gateway into this style of, of fishing uh, as opposed to just using maybe a piece of cider material. But it is a rudimentary version of some of the more complex, advanced nymph rigs that are out there. So this could be a good gateway for you if you are trying to get into this type of fishing. All right, next message is from Chris. Chris writes, Matthew, I listened to an old episode today and you were discussing your 5 foot 9 inch Reddington Butterstick. I wanted to ask what reel you use for the smaller lines. I just built a 2 weight 6 foot glass rod and I want to find a nice reel to match this custom rod. Chris. Well thank you Chris. That sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. A 6 foot 2 weight in glass. Alright, so my 5 foot 9 inch 1 weight Butterstick. It's like a lot of fun for my tight tiny little brook trout streams around me. It's a lot of fun to cast. It's a lot of fun to feel fish on. Going back to that earlier email, um, Nick, you'd absolutely feel a pound and a half bass on this uh, five foot nine inch butter stick, this one weight, but you're not gonna be able to cast across a long river with a popper. You know, I struggle throwing weighted size 10 woolly buggers with it. Uh, so you're not gonna be able to throw a big heavy fly. But I don't do that a whole lot when I'm fishing for brook trout and tiny little streams around me. Anyway, to answer Chris's question, for this rod, I like fishing the Reddington Zero. And I fish the Reddington Zero on a couple of my smaller lightweight rods because it is a very, very, very light reel. It's incredibly light. I think once I put the backing and the line on it, it doubled the thing's weights. I mean, I'm can't say that authoritatively, but that's what it feels like. Holding it naked without anything stuff, anything on it, I mean, it, it's felt weightless. And then you add the line, and now it feels kind of like a, a normal reel, but it's not bulky at all. So that's what I like for a that particular rod, and for B, uh, any rod that is incredibly lightweight and delicate. That being said, a heavier rod, maybe a fiberglass rod that's not as contemporary of a taper, you're not going to want something that light uh, unless you put some weight around the inside of the spool or something like that, some, some lead tape, because you want that rod to balance well on that reel and, and vice versa, because that is going to balance that reel on that rod for your cast so that you're not getting needless fatigue on your wrist or your hand. And those might sound like small things, especially on the small weights. But over the course of a day, you will notice a rod that is not well balanced. Now, it just doesn't mean you have to, you know, go and weigh everything, but you'll know it when you feel it. But of course, that's also difficult until you get line and backing on a reel also. So it's a little bit of a, a um, you know, a shot in the dark. But I think generally speaking, uh, very, very light reels are good on those really, really short and light rods. So the Reddington Zero is a great uh, example of it. And then they have the Reddington Rise. And the Rise is the uh, disc drag version of that reel. I mean, it's not it's not the exact same reel, but it's a very similar reel in that it is a die cast reel that is incredibly lightweight. So real quick, a word on die cast reels. I like die cast reels especially on those one, two, three weight, really tiny uh, reels, because with those delicate kind of skeletal elements of the frames of some of these reels and the spools of some of these reels, 
I have found in my experience that when I drop or ding up a die cast reel, it is more likely to just dent a little bit than it is to bend. It's going to compress into itself rather than distort the entire frame. I'm sure you could give it a really good whack and completely distort it, but I have found that that's not been the case for most run-of-the-mill wear and tear, the kind of things that would happen if you're generally being careful, but you have an accident or a mistake now and again. However, if you have one of these incredibly lightweight machined aluminum reels where they have very, very delicate skeletal-like frames and spools, you're going to drop it and it's going to bend. So instead of kind of denting into itself and kind of collapsing, it's going to distort. Now, this all depends on where on the body of that reel you land, but in my experience, I have had more problems with my ultralight, super delicate aluminum reels than I have with my super delicate ultralight diecast reels. Now, once you get into those bulkier reels, you're not going to have this problem as much anymore because they, they have the support and the sturdiness that are going to be able to resist all sorts of damage unless it's catastrophic. So if you want a bulkier reel, and it's kind of circling back, but if you want a bulkier reel, the, the Batten Kill, the Contemporary Batten Kill by Orvis is a uh, machined aluminum reel that's got some heft to it. It's, I mean, it, that almost is silly to say that because it's a very, very light reel, but it's more solid and it's going to be very, very durable. I love all the bat and kill reels that have been out in my lifetime, but this is a great version of it also. Uh, but it's going to weigh more and it's going to balance out a bigger or just a, maybe a, a rod that is 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 not ultra light. Uh, it is going to give you a little bit more weight out of the box than the Zero. They both have their purposes, and whatever balances well with your rod is the one that you should go with. So go and play with them. Uh, you know, bring your fly rod into the shop. This is true for um, Chris. This is true for anybody. If you have a new rod, whether you bought it at a shop or not, bring it in and and start throwing reels on it and see how it feels. Understanding that you know without line on it, it's going to be a little bit different, but not a, not a whole lot. And we're talking a couple of ounces. And then make sure you buy the reel there. Don't uh, try it. Bring your rod into the store and then like walk out and buy it online. Buy the reel from them. Have them use their machine to put the backing on nice and tight. Then buy a good line. Remember, good line is a good thing. All right, so there you go. Three questions. Two of them a little bit abstract, but I think that those particular situations are the kind of things that you as a fly fisher can appreciate. Some very specific questions that cause us to think, to explore to innovate, to try new things. I've failed as I've tried new things more than I've succeeded. But when I've succeeded, it's not only like, hey, I get to fish better or easier or in a new way. It's uh, there's the, the, the extra sense of accomplishment that you're trying something new. So ask questions, try to solve them yourself, and then get the feedback of other people that are around you. It's a great, great thing to do. And it's just a way to make fishing all that more fun. This week on castingacross.com, the first article is called Slow Your Retrieve. Slow Your Retrieve. So more fish get caught on slow retrieves than on fast retrieves. I'm confident of it. It is true in my own experience and just makes sense biologically. Fish aren't going to chase fast stuff if they don't have to. And particularly in freshwater, not everything moves at a breakneck pace. So don't fish at a breakneck pace. Are there situations where a very, very fast retrieve is going to trigger a strike? Yes. But even in those fast retrieves, when do the fish usually strike? It's usually when you give it that pause or that stop. So 
that all makes sense in our heads. But when we're on the water, what do we want to do? We want to strip, 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 strip. We want to go fast. So in this article, I share three things to keep in your head to maybe fight that impulse to retrieve fast all the time. Wednesday's article is called Sea Fish Like a Pro. So I unashamedly wear Costa Del Mar sunglasses. I think that they are great for one reason above all others, glass lenses, glass lenses. For the past, I don't know, 25 years, I've fished out of and ran in and walked around in and driven in the major sunglass brands that are out there, the ones that kind of sit in the fishing space and the ones that are sit out in the fashion space. I just like a good pair of sunglasses. It's one of the things that I enjoy. And for the last seven years, I've fished exclusively in Costa Del Mar. And the reason is the clarity and the scratch resistance of the glass lenses. It is surpassed by none, at least none that I've experienced. So I fish out of them exclusively. I have a handful of different pairs, different lens colors for different light situations. And recently, uh, they upgraded two of their most popular frame styles, the Fantail, which is what I wear. It's for a medium face, and the Blackfin, which is for a larger face. Um, and the, they have added some new technology in there, which makes them better. So these are not inexpensive sunglasses, but if you want comfort on your face, if you want good lenses to see fish and to see rocks as you're waiting and to protect your eyes from, uh, you know, your, your conehead woolly bugger and from the sun and from all that sort of stuff, then it's worth spending a couple extra bucks. Can you get by with $25 gas station sun sunglasses? Yeah, you can. But do you get by with the cheap stuff of everything in life? Maybe you do, and I'm not here to criticize you, but I think it's silly. We, we, we pick and choose the things that we get upset about spending money on. For me, I don't mind spending a few extra dollars on sunglasses, just like I don't mind spending a few extra bucks on Flyline or on wading boots. There's some things that I think really, really matter. I would prefer to spend more money on those three things than I would on a fly rod, to be completely honest with you. So, Costa Del Mar's new Pro Series. That's what I wrote about, and I talked about some of the new features on that Pro Series on my Wednesday article. And actually, here's my recommendation for this week. Changing on the fly. Go into a store that sells Costa Del Mar and try on a pair of the Pro Series, the Fantails or the Blackfins, and just see how they fit. See how they compare to the sunglasses that you're fishing right now, whether you're fishing another pair of premium sunglasses or you're fishing a pair of gas station polarized sunglasses. Uh, it's, it's worth just engaging in that little bit of market research for yourself before you make a snap judgment. If you really, really like brand X, give these a shot. I just am so impressed with how comfortable they are and the little features they put, especially in this new Pro Series in both the Blackfin and in the Fantail that uh, I, I just think it's, it's really cool. And again, they are not inexpensive, but a lot of the things that we do in fly fishing are not inexpensive. So it's just a, a value judgment and it's a personal choice. But I guess I'm recommending that you go and be an informed consumer this time around. So let me know what you think. Matthew at castingacross.com. I don't get paid a cent for this. I just uh, like talking about what I like to use and what I like to uh, look at. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest 
Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.